Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest today. He's a good friend of the station, Dr. Joe Castleberry, President of Northwest University. Dr. Joe, welcome to Heart of the City. Well, it's always great to be with you, Chuck, uh, on the radio or anywhere else. Yeah, well, it is good to be with you. And uh, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. You just landed at SeaTac Airport, came straight to the studio and I appreciate that because I know you're a busy man, but you just got back from Minneapolis, was at the memorial service for George Floyd, and uh, I just really wanted to have your reactions and your thoughts and what's what's the Lord saying to you during this time? Um, well, my uh, my conscience was uh, was shocked um, a couple of weeks ago with the killing of uh, killing of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia. You know, I was I was ashamed. Uh, that that story was in the news uh, for quite a while before I figured out what was going on. I mean, I saw a picture of Mr. Arbery a few times on Facebook. I I, I was vaguely aware that some injustice had happened, uh, but I but I hadn't had hadn't had time to look into it to see. And uh, finally, I I looked into that case, and it just it just shocked me. It was so obviously. Uh, an unjust an unjust killing, so obviously murder um, and uh, so i I felt like I had to do something. My board of directors was in town for our annual board meeting, and so I quickly drafted a statement for Northwest University on Thursday, the day that i i and I'm in the middle of board meetings, so mm-hmm. I mean, you can imagine I, those are the you don't have any spare moments <laughs> right. when the board's in town you're you're just wrapped up, but this thing got my attention and uh, so on Thursday night i wrote a statement and sent it to the board members and said, tomorrow I want to consider want you to consider s- supporting this statement. Um, the next day, the board deliberated uh, on, on our statement. They unanimously voted to pass, uh, to approve that statement as the official statement of the university, and we expressed our grief uh, with, over the ar- killing of Mr. Arbery. And, um, but, you know, Harvey Drake had challenged me on... Um, Facebook to do something, and I felt that I had to do something. Mm-hmm. And so um, Harvey and Scott Dudley from uh, Bellevue Presbyterian and uh, Reggie Witherspoon, um, a group of us put together, uh, we modified my Northwest letter and made it more appropriate for pastors to sign. Mm-hmm. Hundreds and hundreds of people signed the Northwest letter, at least 700 and I was one of them. Yeah, thank you for yeah. for signing, Chuck. Yeah. But um, people all over the country were signing. Leaders mm-hmm. from other universities. Um, it, it picked up quite a bit of groundswell. A lot of pastors signed very fast, mm-hmm. and uh, so we we put together this pastor's letter that actually expressed repentance for the silence that we have too often guarded in these kinds of injustices. And two hundred pastors very quickly. Uh, we could have had a thousand, I'm sure, if we'd had more time. But uh, we quickly put together this letter and call for signatures. Pastors from all over the area um, immediately signed on. Uh, there was uh, just a tremendous spirit of repentance and desire to say something, to do mm-hmm. some, to do something. Though it was little, anything, to express outrage over this injustice. And 
uh, we we printed that in the Seattle Times uh, in a two-page ad and uh, and have tried to get. We also pu- pu- uh, published that in a couple of the black publications here in the area to mm-hmm. get it as much uh, currency as much. Uh, viewership as you could uh, in, in the black community cuz you know that's who we wanted to reach with our 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 expression of of, of sorrow and repentance and uh um you know I this past weekend I was in Oregon um from Thursday forward at a board meeting a board member's house and I was trying to not read the news and not be a slave to email and all that um and of course, over the weekend, the uh, the George Floyd thing just exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, by Sunday night, um, I was beginning to get uh, calls about this, and I realized that we were late. You know that we had we'd been late to. Although I had posted on my social media expressions of sorrow and that kind of thing, I had, the university itself, I had not acted as president to make sure that we had something to say. And of course there were, there were uh, major demonstrations going on in the streets, even riots breaking out over the weekend. Um, and you know, uh, for Monday we jumped into gear and um, made an official statement on behalf of the university. I published a blog piece that I think you read that mm-hmm. uh, probably got me invited to, to speak to you today. And then um, I realized uh, when I found out that the funeral was going to be at North Central University in Minneapolis, uh, the president there is a good friend, and he was the first college president besides me <laughs> to sign on to our Northwest University statement, which I really appreciated him from another school mm-hmm. signing on to our statement. Um, and I knew where he stood on these issues, and uh, uh, Scott's just a terrific leader, and he was in, in the media quite a bit today with reactions and calling for every university in America to start a George Floyd Scholarship Fund. Uh, Northwest has ex- announced that today on social media and on my social media, and we'll we'll be pushing uh, to get as many donations as we can for that uh, scholarship to uh, to help um, African American students attend Northwest University. Um, I I stepped up with the first thousand dollar pledge for that, and already within seconds of me posting that, other people were. On the were signing in saying I'm in too I'm in too I got messages from uh, on on I was on an airplane and getting messages <laughs> on text messages and uh, there's a there's a groundswell of people that want to do something even if it's a small contribution to do something to express their grief and outrage and solidarity with the African American community at this time so you know we've not we've only begun to to act um i i feel fully engaged um, you you know what you know what happened last time i felt fully engaged on something we we did 200 radio interviews across the country on on immigration and mm-hmm. speaking up for immigrants and uh, i'm not done talking about that issue at all but you know the, it's the same ethical issue at work in advocating for immigrants as it is to protest uh the unjust murder of african americans Especially at official hands, especially at police hands, um, you know. And saying that, I don't. I want to express that there are thousands and thousands of very fine police officers across the nation. It only takes, it only takes uh, a few idiots to to ruin the reputation of the whole police force. And we need police, and and they put their lives on the line every day to to protect all of us, African Americans, and everybody else in the country. And you know, we love police officers, but. Uh, what happened in Minneapolis, what happened 
with, uh, you know, at the hands of an ex-police officer in Georgia, it just, it just, it, it's just too much. Well, you know, uh, I kind of liken it this way. It, when a when a local pastor of prominence or any pastor or a national pastor of prominence falls in some sort of moral issue, I don't know how you are. I, I believe you probably feel the same way I do. I, I sometimes feel this sense of shame, yeah. you know, that someone in my profession that, that I love or that I identify with has disgraced the profession in, in, a, in a way. And uh, and and I think the same thing is true with police officers that somehow there is that that officer who who murdered George Floyd um, disgraced brought shame on the profession which is so sad because it shouldn't be shamed I mean here yes. uh, the other day I was uh, down at Westlake Center praying with pastors and um, where the riots had taken place, where the demonstrations had taken place. And, and uh, there was, you know, stores boarded up, and I was going back to the to the tunnel, the train tunnel, to come back to the station, and there was a police officer standing on the street corner. And I was walking by, and I just thought, you know, I'm going to say something to him. And so, you know, I just I, I walked up to him, and I said, you know, um, I just came from a group of pastors that have prayed, and we prayed for you, mm. you know. And he he looked at me and he said, "Thank you so much." And I said, "Please be safe." And he said, yeah. "You be safe as well." But you know, uh, I I think you know someone who is called their duty is to protect and to serve, and yet they're called now into question whether they're really protecting and serving. That's got to be a, a heartbreaking for those that have been called to that. Oh, it has to be. And the thing is, Chuck, you, you, you talked about pastors feeling ashamed at some of the behavior of other pastors. It's every kind of conceivable group you can imagine because all of us are at the mercy of the worst of us if we are not vocal in in identifying ourselves and our feelings and our values and our principles to society. And that's why uh, it's so important for every person to raise their voice in some kind of way in, in these kinds of situations, because if we don't speak up for ourselves, we let the worst people in our group be the image of who we are. Well, and, and that's kind of a follow-up to what you were saying, Joe, is that, uh, and I was going to ask you, why as the president of a university do you feel it's so important for you to make a public statement? Well, I have African-American students and parents and mm-hmm. alumni um, I have students from every ethnic group you can you can imagine. We have 160 international students at Northwest this past year. I, we don't know how, what that'll look like in the year to come with the pandemic, but you know we have an incredibly diverse uh, group of people there. Uh, it's not as diverse as we'd like for it to be, but it's more and more diverse every year. And um, you know, I the university has to speak up for them. We have to. Uh, we have to be unequivocal about. W- what our position is and as I was saying I was I was late to the game on this one because I was out of town trying to get a couple of days off after my board meeting and <laughs> uh, you know it's a uh, injustice never sleeps and uh, justice has to stay awake too uh, and speaking of that topic of staying awake and, and I want to get back to the memorial service because mm-hmm. that's what you asked me for mm-hmm. but um you know, we we evangelicals uh, in America have been calling out to God for a great awakening uh, for decades, decades. 
Um, and God knows how we need one. You look at the situation of division in our country right now, uh, incredible division. Um, and you see the triple crisis that we're facing right now of, of disease, of depression, economic depression looming, and uh, disruption and disorder, uh, which is justified. Um, it's serious triple threat to our country. We need the hand of God mm. on us. We need our people. Um, we need to see a great awakening, but the only way we're going to see a great awakening is if we wake up. <laughs> We have to wake up. And uh, this is a clarion call uh, to to Christians in America, especially to wake up uh, and to listen, to wake up and to listen to each other and to listen to people you disagree with. Hmm. I I wrote on my Facebook the other day, if you you don't have conflicting loyalties, you don't have enough friends. (laughs) Uh, You know, the truth is, if you don't have friends that you disagree with, you're not spreading your love far enough. You just aren't. Um, and it, we need to become comfortable again with the idea that, you know, all of us have family members that we don't agree with. Some families can't get together for Thanksgiving because some are Democrats and others are Republicans. Right. We got to get over this. You know, I, it's, um, we, we've got to get back to the point where we can listen to people without getting angry that they disagree with us. Exactly. And, you know, the truth is when we listen to one another, we can learn a great deal. Now, you, you talked about the memorial service. Um, I have voted Democrat and I have voted Republican. I voted for Jimmy Carter in 1976 through my father. I've convinced him to vote for Jimmy Carter and I voted for Jimmy Carter in 1980 in my first presidential election. And then I voted for Ronald Reagan in 1984 and mostly been voting Republican ever since. And, uh, you know, my political philosophy is more in line generally with the Republican Party than with the Democrat Party. I am a conservative in political things. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I have to tell you that over the years, my biggest political heroes have not been Ilhan Omar or Amy Klobuchar or Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton. Though I, there's no one in the country with more rhetorical power than Jesse Jackson had. And I, I was amazed at the power of his rhetoric uh, when he ran for president. It was stunning, and it remains some of the finest political rhetoric ever in American history. But, you know, there, there, were, there were times I disagreed with those folks pretty hard. Ilhan Omar was within a few feet of me at this meeting, and uh, she's Muslim. I'm Christian. She's not my favorite politician in America. But, you know, uh, I have to tell you, sitting in that sanctuary, I felt it was a privilege to join with the people I just mentioned and others who I'm sure we don't agree about a lot of things. But, you know, we agree that we love our children. <laughs> we agree that we, all of us agree that we want America to be better. Mm-hmm. All of us agree that we want there to be justice in America. All of us agree that, that the George Floyd should not have died that day at the hands of the police. I mean, there's a thousand things. There's a million things we agree about. And I felt like it was a privilege to come together in the same place for the same reason, in the same mind, and me shut my big mouth at that I use constantly. I'm a man of words. I'm a preacher. I talk all the time. Shut my mouth and listen to somebody else. Hmm. I th- it, uh, uh, so Mr. what did Crump, you learn? The, the lawyer for the, the lawyer for mm-hmm. Mr. Floyd, Mr. Crump, was just brilliant. He hmm. was just brilliant. Uh, Al Sharpton was he was brilliant. 
his his what he had to say was deep. I didn't agree with every single thing he said, but it was deep. It was it was the voice George Floyd's family wanted speaking for them. How would I do anything except listen carefully? Hmm. Um, and he touched me. I tell you, there was a moment, and I, I, I mentioned this briefly on, on Kelly Wright's show, but I, I'll, I'll talk about it again. There was a moment in the in the eulogy. Al Sharpton was talking about when George Floyd called out Mama. Hmm. And he said, but his mother had died several years ago. And from that moment, it was like, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, you know what the Vulcan mind meld was. Hmm. It was like I had a mind meld with Al Sharpton because the next several sentences out of his mouth were exactly what I was thinking. As he said, and I thought simultaneously, he wasn't calling out for his mother because she could come to him physically. He was calling, she was calling, he was calling out to his mother because he could see her. Hmm. Because she was in heaven beckoning to him, calling him to herself. Come on, George, come to me. Your struggle's over. His life was ebbing out of him. And as, and I've seen this before. I've been a pastor for 40 years, really. More than 40. I've seen this happen. I've seen people who were dying tell us about heaven that they were seeing as life ebbed out of their bodies. I saw, I realized that George Floyd was seeing into heaven. He was seeing his mother calling to him, going to her embrace, Mama. I gotta tell you, I I saw we saw this man's life ebb away from him. We saw that man kill him in public. We saw on video for the world to see forever that man being snuffed out. How could we not feel what his family felt? How could we not sympathize? How would we not willing be willing to listen to anyone? who would speak for that family. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and I knew that I was in perfect sympathy with Al Sharpton. As he spoke, our minds were thinking the exact same things. And I'll never see him the same way again. Mm-hmm. I suspect I'll disagree with him at some point. I suspect I'll disagree with him a lot less than I used to. But I'll never see him in any other way again except as a brother in Christ who believes in heaven like I do Hmm. and who thought the same thoughts I thought that day. And I don't think I'll ever quite be the same again. I pray to God. And I'll be more empathetic, more sympathetic than ever before. And, you know, Chuck, this is not a new topic for me. I've spoken about this issue through the years and written about it and done a lot of soul searching on it. But I want to be a better advocate 
for justice, a better advocate for understanding, a better advocate for love, a better advocate for friendship. And I've studied Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s writings. I've listened to his sermons over and over. I, I went and met with his daughter, Bernice, for three hours at the King Center. It was a thrill at this meeting to introduce myself to Martin, King, Martin Luther King Jr., to hear the great-grandchildren of Martin Luther King Jr. raise their voices at the family dinner that I got to be at. Hear the, to hear that sweet young girl raising her voice in protest against injustice done to her people, I thought, "Wow, maybe God will rise up another, raise up another king hmm. uh, to speak. Maybe, maybe for generations to come, uh, that voice won't be snuffed out." But you know, I, I I want to read more. I want to think more. I want to hear more. I want more friends. I've made a commitment to myself. I'm going to make more friends who are different than me, whether they're Muslims, whether, you know, tomorrow I'm in a Jewish dialogue. I've been part of this Jewish evangelical dialogue in Washington, D.C. for um, 14 years now, 13 years. And uh, we'll be on that call next week, uh, dialoguing with with Jewish friends. Uh, I want more Muslim friends. And I've been involved in Muslim and Christian dialogue for years, but I want more Muslim friends. I want more LGBT friends. I want more uh, African-American friends. I want more people from all kinds of directions. And, and again, I'm not new to this rodeo, but, but I want more. And I, I, just, I just call on Americans, 330 million of us, to make, to make 330 million new friends. Hmm. To make 330 million new friends, to love people, to listen to people, to, to figure out what we have in common to find a way to love them, just like we would do at our family at Thanksgiving when there's differences of opinion at the table, but focus on some things we have in common and figure out how to love one another. And if we do that, if we can figure out how to love one another, we can see a great awakening in our time because we will wake up. Joe, we've got about a minute and a half left, and, and what an incredible admonition. And you and I are here kind of shedding some tears because— of the powerful emotions that you're sensing, having experienced that memorial service. And so as you're coming back, you, you, the challenge to you is what you just said, to engage more with people that are different from you. And that's the challenge that we all have, isn't it, yeah. as believers, is that we listen and we engage more. Well, I would just tell people that trust is not earned at first encounter. There's a tremendous amount of distrust among us, and it's rational to, to to not trust somebody at first meeting. It you better take a lunch on this job. You better take a lunch. It's it's going to take some time uh, for you to make friends like you should. Uh, be patient. Recognize that uh, there's reason to distrust you, to be suspicious, and press in, and press on, and take take the time, and and commit yourself to the long haul. Well, I'm sure there's a lot more that we could discuss, but uh, we've been listening to Dr. Joe Castleberry. He's the president of Northwest University, and if you want to know more about Northwest University, you can go to northwestu.edu. Uh, Joe, why don't you, in the final moments here, just wrap us up in prayer. Will you do that? Yeah, yeah. Pray for our country. Absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. Heavenly Father, we come to you with a heart of sorrow, uh, a heart of repentance,
a heart of curiosity, a heart of desire to see peace in our country, to see love, the very love of God made manifest among us. Spread your love abroad among us and give us greater friendships and a better country for the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word call Chuck Olmstead 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com.